Michael Osterling here with constitutional scholar Bruce Fine, another episode of Fine Wisdom. Bruce, we recently uh, had a, can't call it a treaty, an agreement. Executive with agreement. Executive agreement with the Iranians. Uh, you want to talk about that, but you want to put it in historical context. Yeah, I think Iran is simply one example, I believe, Michael, of how our foreign policy is consistently stupid and short-sighted you know, across the board. And yet no one has ever um, falls into professional ignominy for these utterly absurdly stupid decisions thinking that we can remake the world in our own image as though we were God with seven days and could do it by stroke and producing a catastrophe uh, or a semi-catastrophe and, and yet nothing happens to them. So we get this, this repetition because it's almost uniquely in the foreign policy realm where those who uh, thrive are like Montessori school students, they never get great. You know, they're always pluses or everybody's above average. But let's go back and think about Iran uh, because I think it's instructive about, you know, the inability of the United States to understand, you know, ramifications of what we're doing in the show. We go back perhaps in, in 1953 that Iranians, for the first time in their history, in the history of the Middle East, had a democratically elected prime minister's name was Mohammad Mossadegh. And, and we, because we thought you know, he maybe came within uh, uh, a few winks uh, uh, of, uh, of the Soviet Union at the time, uh, and he had expropriated uh, Anglo-Persian uh, oil corporation, uh, which you have a right to do as long as you pay compensation, and we owing Winston Churchill some debt from World War II, and we overthrow the first democratically elected prime minister in the history of the Middle East in order to install the Shah of Iran, a brutal, corrupt, egomaniacal dictator. Uh, and, and after that, you know, predictably, he's corrupt, he's egomaniacal, and he's brutal. He has his savak. Uh, he runs the regime uh, in a way that causes him to be completely hated, and the extremists come to power in 1979. Uh, that's still, we're the ones who gave birth to this, because all along we're supporting the Shah, we're giving him weapons, we were the ones who first sort of sell him nuclear uh, technology, because he said he needed nuclear power plants as well. Uh, and we have people like Jimmy Carter himself saying Shah's the most beloved person in the world, you know, at Christmas in 1977 or 78, something like that. So we create him, we support him. You know, the extremists come in, Ayatollah Khomeini, they overthrow him. And then at least, even when we're looking for some uh, help to constrain, you know, the regional hegemony of Iran, which is quite destabilizing, we have Saddam Hussein. Here we have an equally wretched tyrant, but at least he's containing and he despises the Iranians. It's largely a, a Sunni-Shia split. The, Saddam was a Sunni and a secular guy, a tyrant so well. The Shias dominated Iran, and we didn't have to pay Saddam anything. He was frightened as heck that the Iranians would come and tie to overthrow him. So he's using all of his military force and his fear directed to Iran. It doesn't cost us anything. Uh, they're at loggerheads. They go to war for eight years between 1980 and 1988. And at that time, you know, we were supporting Saddam, at least through intelligence, so the Iranians couldn't prevail. Uh, and, and, and so here we have a situation that isn't ideal because no one celebrates misery, but Iran and Iraq are at a standoff, but it's not hurting us. Uh, and we don't have to pay Saddam anything for it, right? Then we go in and we overthrow Iraq. You know, we overthrow Saddam. So we create a huge power vacuum that the Iranians fill, that, that what we created. Uh, and now we have a Shia-dominated Iraq, uh, and we have 
Iran becomes the regional hegemony because we destroyed the big rival called Iran, I mean Iraq. Saudi Arabia has money, but you know their military probably couldn't even defeat Costa Rica, and they never have. Uh, and, and, and we spend trillion dollars destroying Iraq, which was basically the check on Iran. <laughs> and now you hear all these conservatives saying, oh, how terrible it is that Iran now has become the regional hegemon. And now they're going to get $100 billion from this nuclear executive agreement, which, again, the conservatives in the House and Senate who were called by Republicans, they're the ones that acquiesced in this being treated as an executive agreement, not a treaty, which would require two-thirds vote. So they, or they orchestrate a method of approval that makes certain that Obama would prevail. And now they said, no, this is so terrible. You know, Iran has all this power, and it's not going unchecked. You know what? It's because this stupid foreign policy, we were the ones that created the vacuum. We were the ones that took Iran from a democracy into a theology. Uh, and there's no retrospective, no sitting back and, wow, this stupid, could this be? And to say, this is not an aberration. You could look at the same thing that Castro and the Bay of Pigs and, you know, the disasters. We, we get nothing out of all these uh, gambits to try to race around the world with money and with power and manipulation of local regimes to make it in our image. Uh, and, and case after case, we spend staggering sums and, and nothing, nothing comes of it other than we create enemies and waste a lot of money. Uh, and this is what we need to reevaluate our entire approach to foreign policy as being one that makes us the world leader, so to speak, whatever that means, instead of no. I go back and say, no one who's civilized celebrates anybody else's misery. But you need to understand what you can change and what you can't. Uh, and when you're going to, what in the medical world is called an iatrogenic cure. The cure's worse than the disease. And what we can go broad, yeah, we create a cure worse than the disease. Uh, and it's that wisdom that justified the founding fathers in a restrained foreign policy. George Washington's farewell address, John Quincy Adams in 1821, we don't go abroad in search of monsters destroyed. We could be dictators of the world, but it would destroy our country from one of liberty to one of coercion and domination and control. And until we reorient our entire mindset, of what we're about in the international arena. We'll end up with Iran's and Iraq's and Afghanistan's and Somalia's and Yemen's all over again. And we will become more endangered rather than less because we are making enemies who otherwise wouldn't be benevolent. They're not going to be saints, but they're not going after us. I characterize what we're doing abroad as similar to taking a bayonet when you see a hornet's nest, smashing the hornet's nest open and wondering why they, the hornets don't try to sting you. Yeah, of course they are. You bash the hornet's nest. And so we go to places where they're not disturbing us. They can be evil people, uh, but they're not coming after us. And if we could go in and change it by, a, uh, like, throwing in a life preserver, we would, but we can't. Uh, and then wondering why, when we drop bombs and manipulate their governments who are tyrannical like Saudi Arabian, that they're angry at us. You know, it's no different than we get angry at people who support or give material assistance to a terrorist organization. Our government gives material assistance to terrorist governments. I mean, Saudi Arabia is a perfect example. They behead more people than ISIS does in a year in, in, in a few weeks for dr nonviolent drug offenses. Um, and I, I want to underscore, this isn't intended to be a callous foreign policy that you don't care about other people. You do, but you, your brains tell you what you can accomplish and what's going to be worse than what is how you're going to make matters worse. And I am not at all opposed to individuals if they wish, and I might commend them. If you want to volunteer and make Syria into a democracy or make Rwanda into a democracy or think you're going to go to China and make it, 
hey, good luck. I think you're going to fail, but at least you've got a benevolent motive, and you've got a right to do what you want with your liberty. So I'm not going to oppose that. You may recall that in the 1930s, there was the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. There were thousands in the United States volunteered to fight for the Loyalists against Franco. They didn't succeed, and I'm not sure how democratic the Loyalists were, but, you know, that's their liberty. They, that's fine. Uh, and all those who think that there's evil out in the world that they feel morally compelled to conquer, hey, go do it on your own dime with your own money. That's, that's what it means to be in the United States. Don't coerce everybody else by force into being what you think is a good Samaritan. Great. Thank you, Bruce.